Good evening and welcome to the Idea Box Show, episode number 41 for Friday, September 25th, 2016. I'm your host, Mary Morgan Ryan. I'm a pre-K to five school librarian in the western suburbs of Chicago. And today I'm here with a rock star school librarian. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. How are you? Great to be here. So tell us um, where you're from and a little bit about your school. Yep. I am a middle school librarian. I teach in two buildings in Pennsauken, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, so we're right across the bridge in New Jersey. And uh, I teach at uh, Pennsauken Intermediate School, which is a 5-6 school, and Howard Pfeiffer Middle School, which is a 7-8 school. Great. Great. And we're so glad everyone's here with us today on the Idea Box Show, which is a series of casual conversations with school librarians of all kinds, sharing ideas and expanding our personal learning networks. Uh, we explore the work that school librarians are doing every day, uh, from teaching to technology and collection development to collaboration. So the idea that we are exploring today with Bruce is um, keeping the school library relevant in today's changing times and with uh, Common Core, different kinds of testing going on, um, and new methods of evaluating teachers. Um, you know, all of this swirl in education going on, how are we keeping the school library uh, effective and relevant in, uh, in education? So, Bruce, how did you get started thinking about this topic? Well, actually, I was uh, I'm, um, um, the president-elect and conference chair for the New Jersey Association of School Librarians. And in 2012, I won a scholarship from NJASL called the Vili Gandhi Scholarship Award which allowed me to attend the AECT convention in, uh, I believe it was in Jacksonville that year. What is AECT? AECT is the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. It's an international organization, mostly university folks. But uh, I really like them. I mean, they were, they were great people. And by winning the uh, scholarship, I got to go down to the conference so and uh, hang out. Where ISTE, uh, is more, say, maybe practical classroom-based technology stuff. I'm hearing you say that AECT might be more academic. It is. Uh, it's they, they focus more on publishing probably than anything else. Okay. Publishing is extremely important to them because they're all university folks who need to get published. Okay. So, so you went yeah. to the conference. So I went to the conference and I met lots of instructional designers, uh, lots of folks who work at the graduate, you know, and doctoral levels, uh, and even in the undergrad level. And I found something that. Uh, disturbed me. Uh, this was uh, three years ago, and that's when I started really thinking about it. And actually, this year, it's really taken root more than in than any, any other time. But um, I, what I saw was that instructional designers were designing these fantastic technological tools and technological, uh, you know, digitalized lessons for their future librarians to bring to their uh, districts. And I was finding, you know, I came back from this conference thinking, wow, I'm going to be digitalized. I'm going to be the greatest techno guy in the world. And my district simply doesn't have the technology to be able to execute that type of thing. Now, that's not because Pennsylvania is a bad place. It's we just don't have the technology right now. Uh, and I think a lot of people also don't have the technology right now. So and I, I think it's a socioeconomic issue. And I think it's a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of other factors. But um, I found I found myself very frustrated because I, I wanted to kind of deliver all this great stuff that these professors were telling me that I should be doing, and in fact was not able to do that. 
And so I was, it, yeah. was it something the long, along the lines, uh, kind of ringing a bell in my head, like a, an iTunes U course kind of a thing? Are you talking about maybe a tool where you would be able to deliver content digitally to your students? Well, actually, really, just the idea of, like, I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. Here's, here's kind of what I mean. Every person that I talk to assumed that schools either had a BYOD policy or had already executed their BYOD policy. So a lot of these professors were operating under the assumption that every school librarian who enters into a public school or a private school is going to have a BYOD policy and everybody's going to have a device. Okay, that's what so I they're, mean. they're and that simply their, isn't true. Right. Oh, for sure. So yeah. they're just saying, well, have your student get out their device and Right. Or at least we'll use the smart board. Okay. Or the Prometheus board. Well, what if you don't have one of those either? All right. You know, what if you have, you know, chalk and a blackboard? Right. You know, and you're not, you know, you're not at, you know, at, at uh, in, in Jersey, we would say not at like the Petty School, you know, the, or, you know, uh, at uh, Phillips Exeter. You know, it's not all schools most are like of that. Us yeah, are most not. of us are humble, humble uh, surroundings with, with humble technology. All right, so, so you find yourself back home. Exactly. I find myself back home. And then, starting last year and the year before, but especially last year in New Jersey, I find myself getting the library closed because of testing. Well, now, even if I had the technology, I can't deliver it in, my in, in the library because the library is closed. So then this year, my district hired a, a technology coach. They didn't hire another librarian so that I would have, you know, somebody in each building. They hired a technology coach instead. So all of this tells me one thing, that there's still one thing, and, and don't get me wrong, I love technology. Uh, I was webmaster of NJASL. I, I like this stuff. I use it all the time, however. Oh, people should know that pre-show and yesterday both Bruce and I discovered that each other are really tenacious technology people. We really exactly. figured out some tech problems. So yeah, I can back that up. You're a tech guy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> However, what I'm finding is that we librarians are still good at one, at one thing that nobody else is good at, and that's managing books in a library, managing a print collection, or managing a collection, period, whether it's print, digital, or uh, both. And it's amazing because I, I heard on the radio this morning uh, in the Philadelphia area, you have a local news radio station called KYW. And KYW said this morning that uh, digital sales are down for the first time in several years now. And that print sales are steady. Interesting. Yeah. That's and very interesting. I was fascinated by that, it, especially since I knew we would be talking about this tonight. I was like, it was almost like you know, serendipitous that I heard this. I, I, there, you see, I'm right. <laughs> so, my, so. <laughs> so my focus, frankly, has not been because uh, about, about two, three years ago, I started buying eBooks and I stopped because I simply have a limited budget and I don't have the budget to buy eBooks and regular books. And frankly, what I was finding is that my students, because a lot of them didn't have a device, my students would say, do you have the Hunger Games? Well, gosh, I don't have a copy on the shelf, but I have a digital copy. Oh, all right. Well, I'll just put it in hold. I have the exact same experience. Exact. You know, I offer the ebook, and nah, no thanks. I'm going to find something else. Maybe the high schoolers, maybe they use the, the, the digital more, but my students aren't. They're just not. So 
I'm, I'm finding that I'm best serve, I best serve my community now and I best serve my two schools when I have the best selection of books on the shelf, not necessarily the best selection of technology to choose from. Because my district, frankly, is making it clear that they're high, that, that they, they want another person who's curriculum based, more curriculum based to do the technology with the teachers. Uh, I saw that as a function of, of, of my job was to collaborate with teachers on technology. But what, was what I was finding is that either they didn't know the technology and they didn't have anybody to train them, and I would train them, but they didn't want to take the time, or frankly, I didn't have the time to work with them because I was so busy running two buildings with no assistance. So, oh yeah, I didn't mention that. Well, you know, because you know what, Mary, we're all dealing with it right now. Every person who's watching this is probably a librarian, and they're probably doing what you're doing right now. They're nodding their head, and they're saying, yep. I sure know about that. <laughs> Two buildings. Are you kidding? I'm in four buildings. You know, and I, I haven't had assistance for five years. You know, <laughs> believe me, we're all, you know, my students are coming from elementary schools where they have no librarians at the elementary schools. So I'm the first, and I'm actually, I was introducing myself today to new, to new fifth graders. And the first thing as I say is I am an actual librarian. And I use that, that those words. I am an actual librarian. I, I have a, a master's degree in library science. And, you know, and I belong to the state association, you know, and, I, and I'm an actual, like, I really have a degree in this and everything, you know, because they, they're not used to that. They aren't, right? They're coming to you from, from a situation where not having right. been with uh, somebody in elementary school. They have parents, and the parents are very nice, and they're very helpful, you know. Right. Well, now, okay, so I'm just going to interject here. On the subject of having an aide or an assistant, I am fortunate, and I do have one. Um, I have a full-time. <laughs> well, I have a full-time assistant, and I always, when I am talking to my administration or when I'm talking to my PTO, I always make sure to say at the beginning of whatever I'm about to say, nothing that I'm about to share with you would be possible, and without the woman sitting right over there. Um, I I always make it a point to say the things, the creative things, the teaching, you know, the things that I am able to do are because there is a full-time person who is able to manage the circulation and other things that are going on in the library. Both jobs are critical, as we all know. Um, but it's just a little piece of advocacy that I do every time I'm able. Um, and so just if you are a person listening <laughs> who does have an aid, um, you know, that's always a good thing to say. Oh, I can't agree with you more. <laughs> and I, you know, I was always, I always supported the idea, but uh, you know, it's things happen. Oh, every every school do, district yeah. is different, absolutely. But for those of us who do have aids, I think it behooves us to remind uh, the decision makers um, of their impact. You know, their positive impact. Some of the problem, Mary, is that, and I, I don't want to talk about this the whole time, but some <laughs> of the problem is that um, a lot of us are are so kind of hardworking and competent that we'll make it work. Even that, even though, because we'll just spend more time, we'll devote more hours, you know, we'll we'll do more preparation, because that's the kind of people we are, you know, because we went into this for that purpose, you yes. know, to bring light to the kids, you know, to the kids' minds, and we're not going to let cuts in a budget stop that, and that's oh, almost agree. it's almost a detriment, you know. But hey, look, it's you know, it's an occupational hazard. We care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us then um, how your how your um, 
getting along with these. So you have your budget and you're focusing on print. You're not focusing on eBooks anymore. Right. Have you seen any changes in circulation? Have you seen any changes in student use? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, I can tell you that my circulations are up. Um, and I've noticed that. Uh, and frankly, as I focused more on just getting the kids in for circulation and less on teaching them lessons, which I love to do, by the way. I mean, I, you know, I, I was an English teacher at the high school level for 10 years before I taught middle school library. And I love to teach. I mean, I, frankly, at the middle school, they asked me to teach a lot of English, you know, because I, you know, I like it. Uh, like the teachers will say, hey, could you do me a quick lesson on figurative language? You know, I know you're not supposed to, but gosh, you know, I love that lesson that you do. You know, but uh, I'm finding that I, since we have a technology coach now in the two buildings who can probably cover that, I'm actually going to work more with the technology coach and not with the teachers. And I'm going to spend more of my time focusing on the collection and getting the students in every couple of weeks for books, which I think is more important. And I've already had, I've already met with the technology coach and I've already kind of dropped a couple of programs that are, you know, I said, Hey, do you use VoiceThread? Hey, do you use Edmodo? Hey, do you use uh, Glockster? Oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Can you show me that? So, you know, we'll, you know, we'll hook up and I'm hoping to have a similar effect with my teachers through the technology coach instead of directly. That uh, sounds like fun. a great plan. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, so we're all on the same team and I don't care who actually, you know, kind of does the actual collaboration. I just want everybody to not know that I'm part of the team, but everybody to feel that I am part of the team. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate here. You're telling yep. me that in order to keep the school library relevant today, um, I need to focus on my print collection. Yep. Okay, so what do you say to the people who say, print is dead, paper's dead? You know, I've heard it so many times. How do you respond? Here's what I say. Ask the students. Don't ask the researchers. Don't ask the people who have a vested interest because they're in the publishing business and they're looking to expand their sales. Ask the actual users of media. Which do they prefer? And again, I'm not talking about a 12th grader who lives with his or her cell phone, you know, and does everything with it. I'm talking about our kids. I don't know about the high schoolers right now. I haven't been at the high school for a little while. Uh, I, I'm talking K to 8. And you ask them, which would they rather have if they're going to cuddle up at night and they're going to read? Which would they rather read on, a tablet or a book? And I can tell you, I think most of them will tell you a book. And it's the more, the more likely it is that their parents read, the more likely that they'll choose a book. For sure. And I'm and, also, as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about, you know, my kiddos they are not going to want to read something like Tana Hoban's Colors Everywhere on a digital format. You know, they want they want to hold it. They want to turn the pages and look at it, a picture book. Exactly. They don't they don't run out of power. They don't break when you drop them. They only get that little bend on the on the the corner, you know, uh you know that little that little bend that we love so much, you know, that one right there. Um, you know, they they um they last a long time. 
Uh, you know, like you can carry them anywhere. Yeah, you, there's no restrictions on an airplane. You know, <laughs> seems like you're leading me down a scary path, though, Bruce. Um, in in terms of saying, focus on your print collection, um, because it seems as though that may not be enough to. Oh goodness, stand up against somebody who's looking down budget line items and saying, you know, we don't really need somebody shelving books. We need our technology coach because technology is it. See, but here's the deal. Yeah. I'm the only guy who can shelve books. So I'm the only guy in two buildings who actually knows how that library is supposed to be organized. A technology coach has no idea how to run a library. She only okay. knows how to run technology. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy who runs the library. And I can tell you, ask the kid, does he learn more when he's reading from a book with a static page and no distractions whatsoever, or from a tablet or a device where he can get a dictionary definition, he can check Wikipedia, he can text his friend, he can listen to music, all those things while he's reading. Which do you think he's actually absorbing more from? And I, I can tell you there are studies that will support my, uh, you know, my theory that were my, uh, my assertion that, uh, that print is not dead. I'm not saying, Mary, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that, you know, there's no place for eBooks. I have eBooks. I have Follett Destiny, like a lot of other folks. I have eBooks on there. I have Mac and Via. I have some eBooks on there. I know how to manage them. I just, they don't get used. It was a waste of money to buy eBooks. And the I, truth is, and I'll tell you, Mary, you know, any one of us can go to Overdrive at our local library and get any book anyway. What do I need my school library to do that for? When my public library is providing that service already. And it's no harder. It's no harder to do it from Overdrive than it is, I mean, you know, you're just reading on a device. Right, right. It's an extra step. So it's a, and these, these kids, they know how to do that. I mean, that's downloading something is nothing for them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a really good answer to, to that question. I was wondering if uh, it might be time for me to screen share a couple things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because like you just mentioned that you have some, some uh, articles and evidence, you know, about eBooks and about print. Um, and while I'm while I'm dialing that up, I just want to let everyone know we've moved to a new online home over the summer. Um, if you go to www.ideaboxshow.com, uh, you will find all of our episodes and links to um, get episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Um, and uh, we appreciate your support. One of the ways you can continue to support us is by rating us on iTunes. So if you go to www.ideaboxshow.com and click on the iTunes link. Um, then you will um, be able to rate us, which we really I appreciate. To, I have to think the ratings will go sky high after this show. So. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> okay, so let's look at this article right. for a minute. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> See, now this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? Why reading paper books is better for your mind. Can I tell a little story while, you're, while we're looking at this article real fast? Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this in the document that we did, but... Um, about uh, two years ago, maybe three years ago, 
Oh, Ulysses. I love Ulysses. <laughs> I took a class on that in college. Anyway, um, about two, three years ago, we had at our annual conference, our keynote speaker was Ken Jennings from Jeopardy fame. And uh, he was a pretty interesting guy. You know, he's a pretty straight-laced fella. You know, he, he really was nice. Um, but he, he spoke for a while. And, and one thing he said that really stuck with me to this day is this idea that he fears that today's students are downloading their intelligence to their devices and that they're not really using their brains anymore to get information. They're simply pushing buttons and getting information that way. That they're not, that the device, although it's convenient for a lot of things, is actually reducing the amount of critical thinking that, are, that are, and everyone is doing, not just students, but especially students. And frankly, I agree. <laughs> because I okay. know that I read differently on a device than I do with a book. I just do. I, I, you know, I, I have a different for. I have a different approach. I have different expectations. I don't have the expectation of not being interrupted. In fact, I do have the expectation of being interrupted. So you know, because I'm online, I expect to be interrupted. That's that's the nature of the beast. But books don't do that. It's really Outside. interesting. I was talking to some colleagues about close reading and uh, mm -hmm. reading in general and all three of us said when we really as adults when we really want to concentrate on something and we really want to understand it we'll print it out you know because right. we we want that paper in front of us which is exactly what you were just saying um and then i was looking at this last paragraph of this article um much of what students liked about reading print involved their minds they said it's easier to focus my spatial memory works best and i feel like the content sticks in my head more easily when they were reading print and I agree. And I, I, it works. It works that way for me. And I think it works that way for a lot of our students. And I think moving text is very distracting for people in general, especially young people. Um, there's another point that I want to make, too, which is young people have a different uh, relationship with technology than we do that as as older users. Um, they Technology is all encompassing for them. So when they um, when they get involved in in an, an activity like this, they're not um, they're not fully engaged because to them this is this is just another computer activity. And most of the computer activities or many of the computer activities they do are games. So to I believe that to a lot of people when they read on a device, they read it as if they're playing a game. And they don't fully engage because of that. That can be right. That's what their brain says we're doing now. Right. We're exactly. Yeah. And that and and we never had that. I, you know, I when I started using computers, there was there were no computer games. Right. <laughs> you know, we oh. had uh, there was this really corny Star Trek game back in like the late seventies, and uh, there was asteroids, and that was about it. You know, remember, I mean, when we were growing up, Pong was awesome, you know, so. <laughs> we're dating ourselves, Bruce. Well, okay. yeah, let me, let me take another sip of my tab. Hold it. <laughs> <laughs> so here uh, is a second article, and these article links are in the show notes if anybody is listening and not watching. Um, so this article is from Huffington Post. It's called, Sorry Ebooks, These Nine Studies Show Why Print is Better. And right, and see, um, younger people are more likely to believe that there's useful information that's only available offline.
because they understand that when it's for free, that you get what you pay for. Really? Yes, because well, I teach them that, actually. But I mean, I think they innately understand. I think our students innately understand that you get what you pay for. Because that's a truism in American society. And I think that they, the problem is that they're, that they're willing to accept faulty inf information in a way that we're not. Like, it doesn't bother them all that much if Wikipedia is only 80% accurate. They're okay with that. 80% is good enough. For us, it's not. Right. But right. for them, it's okay. So, you know, it's not such a big deal for them. But we, we know that that's not good enough. So we have to, you know, we have to kind of get them to, to take a different approach to reading. That read, you know, read to engage, not just to scan, which is a lot of times what online reading is. Here yes. you go. Students don't connect emotionally with on-screen texts. I was just looking at that and thinking about a piece that I heard on National Public Radio several years ago about um, they did a, uh, I, I don't know, it wasn't an EKG, but some sort of brain scan, uh, watching your brain activity as you're reading. And um, what they discovered was that what your brain was doing was very similar to what it would be doing if you were really in that story. So if the story, uh, you know, had a smell, then the part of your brain that, that works on smell was active while you were reading that part. And I was thinking of that story while I was reading this uh, header and the article from you, students don't connect emotionally with on-screen texts. Yeah, that's really interesting. And they don't. It's, again, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's, just more, it's just more computer stuff for them. It's okay, not separate. Yeah. yeah What's this one? Uh, this is a link uh, to a database. Yeah, I want it's EBSCO. I wanted to um, I wanted to get something a little more scholarly because I didn't want I didn't want you guys to think that the Huffington Post was the only place it was talking oh. about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this is something a little more scholarly. And what it does is it talks about um, reading behavior, and uh, it basically presents some pros and some cons uh, to uh, reading digitally and reading print. But the, um, the conclusion that it comes to, which I, I think is the conclusion that we all need to come to, is that they're both important. That, okay. some, that, that, that digital reading is valuable in some ways, and I believe that it is, uh, and that print reading is, you know, has, has greater uh, value in some, in some areas, and I believe that as well. All right. Um, okay, so we have several articles uh, in the show notes if anybody's, uh, you know, wanting to learn more about this topic. Um, there are, well, there's a Washington Post article, Huffington Post article, and then, like you said, this more scholarly piece. Um, and it looks like there's also a testimony, a piece of testimony. Yeah, this is, um, you know, this is something that I ask everybody to do. And we were just talking about this earlier, Mary. We were talking about advocating, you know, advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, several years ago, I started to realize that there was no in-service in my school district that was helpful to me, that I was receiving no professional development whatsoever that was helpful. Now, that's not my district's fault. There's only two librarians in my district. So, you know, how much is there going to be? Uh, they're not going to they're not going to bring in special speakers just for the librarians, and they're not going to cater 
you know, the lessons to just the librarians because it's only me and the high school librarian. So I realized that I needed to get that professional development outside of my district. And I got a lot more involved in the New Jersey Association of School Librarians. I became the webmaster because I thought that would be cool. And then that I, I forced me to learn how to be a webmaster, which was kind of neat. And then uh, I was elected to the leadership track a couple years ago. And now I'm, as you know, conference chair and, and president-elect. And one of the advantages of being a leader in an organization like that is that you can do cool stuff, like testify to the State Board of Education. So we have a lobbyist. Her name is, uh, is Peggy Lawler, and she's really awesome. Uh, and she lets us know when the State Board of Education is having open, open hearings where they, where they allow testimony. And uh, you, know, you can sign up, uh, there's 20 slots, and I signed up for a slot, and I, you know, I gave it my best shot. And I think I got through to them because the president of the board uh, in New Jersey and the chief academic officer in the state of New Jersey is, are now coming to my conference. Congratulations. So, and I, I don't think they would have come unless I had testified. So there you go. I mean, it, it, really, it really does something. They actually do listen. They may not be able to, to solve your problem. I mean, they may not be able to say, oh, sure, we'll get you more funding. But they do have, I mean, they will listen. And they do have a sympathetic ear. And each of the board members who was present at that meeting at some point uh, after the meeting, after the testimonies, came down and said to me, I support, you know, I agree with you. I don't know what I can do about it, but I agree with you, and I'm going to try to come to your conference. And then two days later, we got a letter that, uh, that they were coming. So, you know, and, and what does that mean? Well, that simply means that we get to show off a little more of what we're doing. We get to show how much value we have. We get to show how important we are to our students and how important we are to our buildings. And that gives us another, you know, another, uh, uh, you know, another coin in the box, you know, that, that we can shake around when we, you know, when they start cutting us again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I, I basically um, talk, I, I basically advocated for school librarianship in New Jersey, you know, that we should have a, uh, we should strengthen the law to, uh, to require a, a school library media specialist in every building, not just in every district, which is the way it stands now. Um, but I also talked about this idea of reading versus uh, digital, and I saw a lot of nods from the Board of Education members when I spoke about that. Um, and I basically said that, you know, technology is a two-edged sword. You know, it's great in some ways, but it doesn't accomplish everything. And that, in fact, it really uh, can be a sort of Damocles hanging over our head and not really, you know, like, like distracting us more than helping mm -hmm. us. And so, you know, so, so we, so I, I argued this idea that you know let's let's not forget print, right? And I made it clear I'm not a luddite. I just don't want to forget print. I think people still like books. I'm sorry, guys. No, no, no. I was, um, I was going to say that um, for those of us who might be able to um, also make sort of a public comment in our states. Um, a link to Bruce's testimony is in the show notes. So if you want to know, you know, what he said and how he approached it, um, you can definitely read what he had to say and see how that might work for you, what spin you could put on it. So, I will say this. Uh, I did work. Uh, 
if you're going to present to the State Board of Education, I feel like you really need to be that. Like, I really, really worked hard to try to be as eloquent as possible. Absolutely. You know, this is your one shot. I mean, they're never going to talk to you again. You know, this is the one <laughs> interface that you have with them. You always want to show your best face. Good advice. Practice, practice, practice. Yes. So um, you and I talked pre-show. You have some suggestions for people who um, – would like to do what you're doing, you know, focus more on their, their print collection. But as with all of us, our budgets are limited and a lot of us, there our budgets are shrinking every year. So what creative ideas have you come up with for building a print collection in these tough times? Okay, uh, we've done a few things actually. First of all, uh, I've continued to do scholastic book fairs. And instead of taking, I, what I used to do is with my scholastic book fair, I would take cash as a profit and then i would go to like a fallout or a mackin and buy any book i wanted and not just scholastic books what i realized is that's that doesn't achieve my goal because i need a lot of books i want a lot of books on the shelf and i want a, a lot of high popularity uh high low type books on my shelf because frankly that's where my kids are you know so i need i need a lot of high low stuff um so now I take all scholastic dollars from every fair. And I get about, uh, you know, I get about $3,000 worth of books, sometimes more, from so a scholastic book fair. More bang for your buck. You're getting a lot more bang for more my buck now. On the shelves. Obviously, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to get the variety that I would get from a large distributor, a Baker and Taylor, or a Mackin, or a Follett, but I'm getting a lot of, a lot of copies in the library. And frankly, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to buy Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Dork Diaries from Follette. It makes sense to buy them from Scholastic. I mean, they make them. They publish them. So what I've done is, you know, I focused a little more on my Scholastic books. And my kids love them. They don't care, <laughs> you know. Scholastic books are as good as any other book, you know. And um, I look at, like you said, I just get more bang for the buck. Okay. Uh, another thing is... I've partnered with the local library in the past, uh, our Pennsylvania Public Library. And, you know, sometimes they will have books that they're weeding and they don't know what to do with them, you know, or, or they might say, yeah, you know, uh, I have, you know, I wasn't going to weed, but you know what, now that you mention it, I will weed. And uh, you know what, see me next month and I'll have some, some titles for you. You never know if you yeah. don't ask or if there's a county library system or a state library system, contact them. Hey, I'm Bruce Duboff uh, from Penn, you know, from uh, Pennsylvania Intermediate School. I, you know, I'm running short of books and, and my budget's been cut. Do you have anything for me? And they might say no, but they might say yes. You, <laughs> you know? never know. <laughs> right. Correct. And then another thing is a lot of parents now have a lot of books that they just don't use anymore. And you know what? How about all those books that get purchased at the Scholastic Book Fair? or at Barnes and Noble, or at Barnes and Noble book fairs, which we also hold. You know, we hold a Barnes and Noble book fair, and we combine um, gift wrapping with it. So we have the, uh, the honor students, the Junior Honor Society, the National Junior Honor Society, go in and wrap, wrap boxes, you know, wrap packages for Barnes and Noble for tips, and the tips go to uh, a gift certificate that I use to buy books. And like I say, how about all those books that they buy at Barnes & Noble or at Scholastic? You know, they read them, and then they sit on the shelf. And then two years later, you know, a ninth grader doesn't want to read Dork Diaries anymore. 
But what's she going to do with that book? Well, guess what? She can donate it right back to the library. And, and, and I put a nice plate in it that says this book generously donated by such and such. You know, and they think that's awesome. They're not doing anything with the book. I mean, it's just going to sit there. They're, they're, you know, they might they're just put it in a box and put it away. Why not get use out of it? Absolutely. And like I say, you don't know unless you ask. And I and have if also they say no, then they say no. Yeah. <laughs> no. I've also found, and I think you have too, um, that if I'm willing to sit with a vendor for a few minutes and talk about what they have to offer, that also might be a source of a few books. They always throw you a few books. books yeah. right. <laughs> they will always throw you a few books. Yeah. And actually, um, I'm never embarrassed or ashamed to ask for more. So whatever they give me, I'll always say, listen, do you have anything else? <laughs> no. In a nice way, not yeah. like not like I'm a greedy slob, but you know, my kids could really, you know, you have any extra copies of the Wimpy Kid book? Uh, you know, you got a, you know, an I Spy book. You know, you'd be surprised at what you get just by asking. I got a, a an I Spy book, autographed by Walter Wick. Uh, recently, just I Walter Wick, right? He's the he's the yes. I Spy guy, right? Yeah, yeah. just because I asked for it, I saw like a guy had a book with him, and I was like, oh, what is that? He's like, oh, it's an I Spy book. We got it autographed. You know, it's for such and such. I said, oh, could I have it? <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, well, will you give me an order? I'm like, well, I'll think about it. And he's like, well, okay. You know, but <laughs> hey, look, you know, you, like I say, you never know unless you ask. That's so true. seek out the community. Also, are there other organizations out there who would like to help you? Are there charitable organizations out there who do this kind of thing? You know, who provide books? Um, a lot of times, Mary, I'll be honest with you, I've written a couple of grants in my life. It's a long, difficult process, especially if you're alone, you know, and you just have nobody else. There's a lot of data that you need, and there's a lot of writing, and there's a lot, and you know, and then a lot of times you don't get it, and it's disheartening. Yes. So, so grants really are, I mean, grants are great if you have staff, I believe. If you have staff... Grants are awesome because you can actually have your assistant, you know, look up the community data, you know, what the population is and how many people are getting free or reduced lunches and, you know, and all this kind of, all these kinds of issues. But I'll tell you, if you don't have that, those grants, grants, grant writing's hard uh, and it's just time consuming. So I find just asking people, you know, is, is more effective. And like I say, it's a snowball effect. If you ask one parent and she unloads a box of books, she might tell another parent, hey, listen, you know, Duboff down at the intermediate school is taking all my old books. You know, you can get rid of that box in your, you know, attic too. Oh, really? And then the next thing you know, I got lots of books. Right, right. And guess what? If I don't use those books and if I don't find them useful, I can turn around, give them to the teachers, and they can build their classroom libraries with it. I was just going to ask you, do you are you like upfront with them and saying, don't expect to see every one of these on the shelf? Somebody, uh, we had our back to school night uh, last last Monday, just you know, just a few days ago, and a fifth grade parent, you know, who's new to the building and you know, new to me, um, said to me do you accept donations? And I said, yes. Uh, and she said, well, what are the qualifications? And I said, I have to like the book. <laughs> and she said, well, I mean, it has to be in good shape, right? I don't care about the shape. I said, you know, my kids don't care about the shape. It just has to be a book that we would use in this library. That's it. 
you know, I mean, like a book that I would normally put on the shelf mm -hmm. or that I wouldn't have any objections to putting on the shelf. Right. You know, so for example, uh, you want to give me, you know, the fourth book in the Twilight series. I don't know if I want that for my fifth graders, but eighth grade, no problem. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, on the same note, I don't know if I need Magic Treehouse for my middle school. But guess what? I have a lot of fifth graders who still read Magic Treehouse. So I don't care if they're beat up. The, the parents think it's about the condition of the book. And I tell them, I could care less about the condition of the book. The best books in this library are beat to hell. Right. You know, I mean, they are just, I mean, we have beaten the crap out of them. You know, the, the pages are falling out, the corners are bent, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the laminate is falling off. I mean, all that stuff. That's, you know, a good book. I, I a kid just came in the library the other day and said, oh, look, Mr. Duboff, this book is all broken. I said, I know it's a good one. <laughs> I so have some very pristine She got it. She said, yeah, I get yeah. it. You know? <laughs> I also so, yeah. have some pristine yes, books that are in as good a shape as the day I bought them because, right. yeah, <laughs> they are not so well loved. No, well, those, those, are great suggestions. those are great suggestions for, um, you know, focusing our attention on um, matching kids with the right book in our print collection and getting back to the basics of what a school library uh, is all about and some great ideas for, you know, scrounging around and finding exactly. good ways to build our collection. And so, by the way, uh, um, people like Orca, are you familiar with them? Yes. Um, if you write to them and ask them, they will give you stuff. A lot of publishers will. A lot of publishers will ignore you. Scholastic is another publisher. I am now on there, and, and you, you tell every single person who's listening to this podcast to do this right now. Okay. Okay? You call Scholastic or you write to Scholastic, and you tell them that you review books and that you would like, if, if at all possible, to be put on their list for galley copies and preview copies. I get two or three huge boxes a year of galley copies and preview copies because I review once in a while. And all you have to do is ask them. I don't and have to they be will. a published reviewer? Nope. You do not have to do anything. You just ask them. And they will, and if they put you on the list, which I hope they will, uh, all of a sudden you'll just get these boxes of free books every, every once in a while. And, you know, they'll be, you know, uh, this one will be uh, coming out in July, and this will be coming out in August, and, you know, and they'll all have the dates. And I don't put any of them out before I'm supposed to, because that's you know, courteous to the publisher. But uh, I have to tell you, I read The Hunger Games and Catching Fire three months before they came out. Uh-huh. I was Another dying when, you know, when Mockingjay was. <laughs> I was dying a whole year I had to wait for Mockingjay. <laughs> I know. All of us were in that but boat. Yeah, That's you'd, for never, sure. you'd never think that. Yeah, like I say, I get these huge boxes of books. And then a lot of those books that I see that I get as free copies, um, two months later, I'm buying a copy from the book fair anyway. So they've achieved their goal. Right. You know, by sending me one copy of Missile Mouse, I'm going to end up buying two more copies of Missile Mouse, which is a graphic, uh, you know, if you're, you, you might know it, yeah. No, I don't. Um, but, but, but you get the idea, though. you know, right. uh, you know, you uh, buy a, a bone, you know, and you get another bone, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, they're, they're or an amulet. They're... My kids love the amulet books, you know. Oh, but my yeah, goodness, yes. Never... I had the sixth amulet book before anybody because I got a preview copy. My kids were like, like, drooling over it, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't even colored fully. It had some black and white in it. They didn't care. No, they don't <laughs> care. That's great. 
So yeah, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. But yeah, oh, just no, one more thing. Everybody should do that. That's a great idea. Scholastic, call them, or yep. write them, or send smoke signals, or something. Um, okay, so that's going to wrap up our discussion of your idea, which um, is a great one, and I think Thanks. it'll all give us pause to think really about the purpose of our program and our role in the school. Um, and so now we're going to move on to shout outs. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, a friend of yours, Kathleen Galarza. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been dark on Twitter for a while um, just because I've had some things, you know, going on at home and, and the start of the school year. And uh, Kathleen tweeted me the other day. Um, if she has, if she's a podcast guest and we talked about her anime club and she tweeted me something about the anime club. And I just have to say, Kathleen, that that really helped me realize that I need to get back on Twitter. Um, I have a lot of friends on Twitter that I've been ignoring and, and you know, not tending to those friendships. And so um, I need to get back onto Twitter. So um, hi, Kathleen, and thank you. She tweeted me, duh, should have shared this with Mary. So, <laughs> so um, that was great. How about you, Bruce? Do you have anybody you want to shout oh, out and, to? And ditto on Twitter, by the way. I've been a little dark on Twitter, too, lately. But I'm, I'm getting back because the conference is coming up. I have to give a shout out to my conference committee, uh, and especially to Leslie Blatt, who's just been doing tremendous work. You To run a conference, to run a state conference, is a tremendous undertaking. Uh, it involves just a lot of coordination and a lot of communication and a lot of collaboration. And I have just the greatest committee in the world. I mean, they have been awesome. They have made they have made my job a whole lot easier. And uh, they've they've allowed me to, they've enabled me to do what I do best, which is smile and take credit for everybody else's work. <laughs> so they're, they're really good at, at at doing the work that I can take credit for. So thank you. <laughs> oh, and also one more. Uh, to uh, Joyce Valenza at Rutgers, because uh, she's doing us a favor by uh, speaking at our conference this year, and she works with us every year. So, hey, Joyce, and I hope I'll see your students soon, actually. Oh, so. Great. That's going to be, it sounds like a great conference. I look forward to the tweets. It is uh, November 15th to 17th, Ocean Place Resort, Long Branch, New Jersey. Uh, NJASL.org, NJASL.org, slash fallconf, F-A-L-L-C-O-N-F. Be okay. there or be square. It'll be the best conference in the universe. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Prove that it's not. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so the, the last thing I just want to do is if you have a, a news item or a tip or you want to share what you're reading, that would be great. Um, I wanted to let people know about um, a community online in, um, in the EdWeb uh, edweb, at edweb.net. I don't know. Uh, it's free to join edweb.net. And once you're there, you can become a member um, of a lot of different communities and get free uh, professional development. Um, and so uh, my colleague, Jill Berry, here in my district, let me know that there is a digital citizenship community in edweb. And we are in the process of sort of revamping our digital citizenship resources. We, ought, we try in our district to all share what we're using to teach those lessons. And we're reworking, um, you know, coming up with what we think are really up-to-date resources. And Jill mentioned that the edweb.net uh, community was a good source of information for professional development. So I joined it. And if you are one of those librarians out there who is tasked with teaching digital citizenship, you might join it too. Edweb. Cool. I'm actually presenting on digital citizenship at AECT in uh, November. So that'll be 
excellent. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you very much. Of course. Um, let me mention, by the way, uh, just briefly, uh, I think we might have uh, met through TL Chat. So if you're not attending TL Chat, you absolutely should. I don't do it every month, but it's a great, uh, it's, it's a great uh, monthly show. Also, um, if you haven't read Essay uh, Bodine yet, have you read Essay Bodine? No, no. Yeah, um, this is Essay Bodine. Well, this isn't this isn't her. I mean, she's, <laughs> I mean, I imagine she's a little older, but Essay um, Bodine uh, wrote this book called The Raft, which is kind of like um, kind of like other stories that I've read about a girl who's who gets stranded. Uh, it's kind of like Hatchet for a girl, except it's in the ocean instead of in the Canadian wilderness. Uh, it's very good, and my kids really enjoy it. And then this book, especially, which is actually two books, this is called The Compound. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, this is uh, it's creepy and really good, actually. And it's a, it's a, a if you if you haven't read it, and there is a sequel called uh, uh, Fallout, which is uh, all right. You know, it's not bad. I mean, it's you you want to see what happens. I mean, just so you read it for that reason. But the compound is particularly good, and it's about uh, uh, the super rich guy who um, is afraid that there's going to be a nuclear war. So he builds this uh, this immense underground system, and in fact, the war comes, and and the whole family can't make it. So a couple of the families left outside. Years go by. Things get kind of creepy. And then suddenly, uh, they, there's questions about what really did or didn't happen. It's a very tense, exciting, creepy book. Uh, and there's, there is a creep element to it that, um, like a lot of the teachers, uh, the, the teachers in my school are split on it because I've told everybody to read it. And they all said the same thing about the one part. And you probably know what I'm talking about, the creepy part. And it's real creepy. Yeah, but... But you good. should read it because it's really good. Yeah, I, I'm on the good side. Yeah. So yeah, so check it out. Um, and then the the only other thing I I just read recently is um is I'm into this series, um the the, the new James Dashner series, the first and second mm -hmm. books. So this is the Eye of Minds and the Rule of Thoughts. This is the, I believe it's called the Immortality Doctrine, and it's about this kid named Michael who you know kind of is involved in this virtual reality thing and. And there's uh, there's some there's a criminal and you know they the good guys bad guys and and it's, it has a great by the way very good ending surprising for Dashner who you, isn't really always about a good ending <laughs> so read the read the death cure you'll know what I mean but uh, <laughs> but uh, this uh, this, uh, this does have a good ending so fabulous check it out those are great recommendations and I yeah I love the compound it's totally creepy though you're right. Yes, so totally, that's, but in a cool way. <laughs> that's going to close the book on this episode of the Idea Box Show. Uh, oh, my God. Was that, that was fast. I know. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun with a friend. Um, thanks, Bruce, for joining us. Where can people find you online? They can find me at uh, brucedubaff at gmail.com. They can find me at njasl.org. They can find me at bduboff at pensalkin.net. They can find me at uh, pensalkin.net slash pim pensalkin.net slash PMS, on Twitter at BRDBRUTUS or at Bruce Duboff, and hashtag uh, NJASL15 and awesome. at NJASL. Great. Find me all those places. Or just search me on Google, Bruce Duboff. You'll find me. There aren't <laughs> that many Bruce Duboffs. We were librarians, fortunately. <laughs>
<laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at, at MMorganRyan and be sure to visit www.ideaboxshow.com to find all our episodes and the links to subscribe on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Um, spread the word. And thanks for joining us to learn new ideas. All right. Thanks, everybody.